Matthew 13, 10 through 17, and 53 through 58. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then does this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. The word of the Lord. Um, every year I have an annual checkup with my doctor. And I remember one time years ago, uh, we were going through the checkup and he was asking me about my family's health history. As he stood there, you know how doctors do with their clipboard, and he started asking me about my parents' health, and I said, well, my mom had a, a pacemaker, and oh, and my dad, you know, he had bypass surgery, and my doctor looked up from his clipboard and said, we should probably run some tests on your heart. And so we did. They put me on a treadmill and, uh, and did what's called a stress test. And next, they hooked me up to a machine and did what's called an EKG, or electrocardiogram. I might switch over to um, one of the mics here. I don't know, is it, am I cutting in and out? I might switch over, is that okay? What's that? Check, check. All right. Let's do, let's do this just to be safe this morning. So they're putting all these uh, putting me through all these tests, you know, the stress test and and the EKG. And uh, now, just to put all your hearts at ease, my heart is just fine. Um, but what's the purpose of these tests? The purpose of the tests was to find out whether I had a heart condition. And thank God I don't. But I would never have known if I hadn't taken the test. Now, why am I telling you this story? We're finishing a series today in which we're looking at uh, different parables that Jesus told about the kingdom of God. Uh, parables are stories or similes that don't carry their meaning on the surface. You have to think about them. 
by their very nature, parables are hard to understand. Um, here's the question. Why in the world would Jesus do so much of his teaching in terms of parables that are hard to understand? He doesn't always talk like that. Sometimes Jesus could be really clear and direct, but a lot of times he's hard to understand, especially in his parables. So we want to ask Jesus, why do you talk to us in ways that are so hard to understand? You know, that's exactly the question that his disciples asked him in this passage. Jesus, why do you speak to people in parables? The reason is because we all have a heart condition, not our physical heart, um, and not the way we think about our heart in our modern culture, um, when we hear the word heart, we tend to think in terms of emotions or our sense of identity, as in, well, you just got to follow your heart. No, um, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's not just talking about our emotions or our desires or our mind or our will. It's talking about all of those things bundled together. In the Bible, your heart is the control center of your whole being, and it sets the course for your whole life. The reason Jesus speaks in parables is because it's a way of revealing the condition of our hearts. Where is your life headed today? What is God doing in your heart? And what is your heart doing with God? We might think that we already know the answers to those questions, but would we be willing to take a test? Are we up for a spiritual EKG, as it were? In this passage, Jesus shows us three things that he's doing with parables. Parables engage our imagination, they reveal our hearts, and they heal our opposition. Par the parables of Jesus engage our imagination, they reveal our hearts, and they heal our opposition. Let's go through these each. Uh, first, the parables of Jesus engage our imagination. Whenever Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, and he talked about it all the time, this would have had a very specific meaning for his first century Jewish audience. Now, we've been talking about this every week, but let me give you a little bit of a recap. In the biblical storyline, God creates this world to be a place of goodness, wholeness, beauty, and perfection. But because of human rebellion against God, everything is falling apart. This world is not the way it's supposed to be. Did you ever feel that, that this world is not the way it's supposed to be? In, in the Bible, throughout the Bible then, there's this promise over and over again that one day God was going to show up, he was going to rescue this world from evil, and he's going to renew this material world to be the place where everything is the way it's supposed to be. And that promise is called, guess what? The kingdom of God. And in the Bible, this promise is um, a universal vision for the whole world. The problem is that um, Israel had been living under brutal oppression from Roman Empire, uh, from empire after empire, including the Roman Empire. And so at this point in their history, by the time Jesus showed up, that universal vision for the whole world had gotten shrunk down to a political, military, nationalist vision for Israel only. Now, in other words, Jesus was talking to people who knew the kingdom was a story of rescue and renewal, but that story had become deeply distorted in their minds. So here's the big question. How is Jesus supposed to help them um, see the distortions in their vision of the kingdom and also uh, help them recover a renewed vision for what the kingdom really is? That's the challenge Jesus faced, and it's a huge challenge. For instance... Um, 
Have you ever tried to change someone's mind about politics by calmly and objectively laying out all the reasons, facts, and evidence for why their political views are wrong and they should adopt your political views? How did that work out? Raise your hand if you've ever convinced someone to change their mind about politics through reason and logic. Why is it that those kinds of dialogues never work? It's because people think in terms of pictures before they think in terms of facts. And by the way, cognitive science is showing us this more and more. The only way you will really ever change someone's mind is you've got to first get inside their picture and give them a new picture. Friends, that is exactly what the parables of Jesus are doing. They're giving us a different, a new picture of the kingdom of God because that's what parables are. They're stories. Stories give us a different picture. Stories give us another world that we can enter and walk around and experience what it's actually like to live in that world. In other words, parables engage our imagination. And by imagination, I don't just mean stuff we make up. Imagination is the human ability to form pictures in our mind and to assign meaning to them. Let me say that one more time. Imagination is the human ability to form pictures in our mind and to assign meaning to them. Because before we can say whether something is true, we have to understand what something means. Let me give you an example. Lewis Carroll the guy who wrote Alice in Wonderland, once wrote a famous poem called Jabberwocky. It says, "'Twas brillig, and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wabe. All mimsy were the burrow groves, and the mome raths outgrabe." Let me ask you a question. Is this true or false? We can't say because we have no idea what it means. The only way we can say whether something is true is if we first understand what it means. Let me apply this to Jesus. When Jesus first began his public ministry, the very first words out of his mouth were, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is this true or false? Is the kingdom of heaven at hand? We can't say until we understand what Jesus means by the kingdom of heaven. What does the kingdom mean? When you hear the word kingdom, how do you imagine that? What picture do you have in your mind? Is it, um, is it a disembodied heaven where the streets are paved with gold? Is it an, a state of inner consciousness? Uh, is it a, basket, a professional basketball team? Like, hey, last night I saw the magic play the kingdom. Wh what is it? How do you picture the kingdom? We can't say whether the kingdom is at hand unless we understand what the kingdom means. Because as human beings, the way we get meaning is not first through facts and data, but through pictures and stories. So for instance, let me tell you a story about a woman who got a clearer picture of Jesus through stories. Molly Worthen is a, uh, a historian and a professor at UNC Chapel Hill. Uh, she wrote a highly regarded and very scholarly book about American evangelicalism. And as a historian, Molly Worthen said, you know what? She considered herself somebody who was very open to the claims of Christianity. But then she realized she wasn't. So she started reading books and engaging resources and exploring the historical evidence. And as helpful as all of that was, it wasn't enough 
what, what she realized was that she needed something else to help her understand Christianity. And so one day she was thinking to herself, you know what? American Christians love C.S. Lewis, and I'm studying American Christianity, so maybe I should read some books by C.S. Lewis. But she didn't get any of his Christian books. What she got was a, a trilogy of science fiction books. Th those books are not explicitly Christian and she thought, well, this is just going to be a fun read. It's just a story. And as a result, she says, I didn't have my guard up. And what those books did was they gave her a different picture. She says, those books gave me a different picture of sin. They gave me a different picture of Satan. <laughs> they gave me a different picture of idolatry, especially in my field of academia. And today, Molly Worthen is a Christian. And listen, there were absolutely other factors that were at play there, but it was through stories that she got a completely different picture of what Christianity means. Friends, Jesus tells parables to give us a deeper, stronger, clearer picture of what the kingdom of heaven actually is. And before we move on, let me ask you, if maybe you're here this morning and you're exploring faith, um, what's your picture of Christianity? Do you think it's possible that your picture might be distorted? And how would you get a clearer picture? And by the way, even if you're a Christian, those are questions we need to be continually asking ourselves. What is my picture of the kingdom? How do I know my picture isn't distorted? How can I get a clearer picture? Parables help us to do that because parables are a way of engaging our imagination. And that leads to the second thing we see. Not only do parables engage our imagination, parables reveal our hearts. Remember, Jesus is talking to people uh, who knew that the kingdom is a story of how one day God was going to rescue them from their enemies and then renew this material world. The problem is that story had become deeply distorted in their imagination. So if Jesus had just shown up and said point blank, I am the Messiah, all that would have done was confirm and strengthen the, the distorted picture they already had of the kingdom. Does that make sense? By the way, uh, it would have also caught the attention of the Roman authorities, and they would have said, oh, so you're the Messiah, are you? We know what to do with insurrectionists like you. Did you know that in the ancient world at that time, there were lots of other people who claimed to be the Messiah and gathered a following and built movements. You know what happened to those people? The Roman Empire put them down fast and hard. Do you see the challenge Jesus faces here? Not only um, is giving people a clearer picture of the kingdom difficult, it's dangerous. Why? Because we all have a heart condition. Parables not only give us a clearer picture of the kingdom, they reveal the condition of our hearts. And all too often, the condition of our hearts is one of opposition to God. And we might say, I'm not in opposition to God. I'm not hostile to God. Oh, yes, we are. Think about it. When Jesus talks about rescuing us from our enemies, what are the enemies we think we need to be rescued from? For his first century Jewish audience, they thought that real enemy was Rome. For us modern people, we're pretty much the same. We think the real enemies are other people, other groups, other tribes, other political parties. 
Or maybe if you're more influenced by Eastern spirituality, you might say, no, no, no. The real enemies are ignorance and illusion. But Jesus says no to all of that. He says the real enemies we need to be rescued from are the sin and death that are destroying us. And guess what? We don't like that. In fact, we are deeply inimical and hostile and resistant to that. We don't want reality to be that way. We don't want God's kingdom to be like that. We all have a heart condition. And that's why when Jesus' disciples ask him, why do you speak to the people in parables? That's why Jesus quotes Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 is a very famous passage in which God calls the prophet Isaiah to speak, to preach to the people of Israel. But he says, the more you speak to them, the more they're going to reject you. So Jesus quotes the passage. It says, this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Do you see the emphasis on our hearts here? Remember, in the Bible, our heart is the control center of our whole being, and it sets the course for our whole life. Jesus is basically saying, the reason I tell parables is because it's a way of revealing the condition of your hearts. And we don't like that. We resist that. In fact, um, a lot of people have gotten angry at what Jesus says in this passage. Because uh, when Jesus quotes Isaiah 6, you know, his disciples ask him, why do you speak to the people in parables? Jesus says, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. And people get angry because it, it sounds on the surface like Jesus is intentionally blocking people out of the kingdom. He's not. First of all, notice that Anybody who comes and asks Jesus what the parables mean, he's more than happy to explain it to them. He wants people to understand. But even more than that, that word secrets there, the Greek word is mysterion. Does that sound familiar? That's where we get our word mystery. The, the word mystery, he's saying the mystery of the kingdom. Now, when we hear the word mystery, we think, oh, it's like a detective story. In a detective story, hey, if you're smart enough, if you pay attention to all the clues, then you should be able to figure out the mystery for yourself. By the way, the ancient world had something very similar to that. Um, it was called, they had something called mystery religions. In, in, in the ancient world, a mystery religion was something that was for spiritual masterminds only. The mysteries of the religion were not for the ignorant masses. It was only for the spiritual elite. But throughout the Bible, it uses the word mystery the exact opposite of that. In the Bible, the mystery of the kingdom is not something that only the spiritual elite can figure out. It's something that none of us would ever figure out. It's something so counterintuitive and subversive that none of us would ever figure it out unless it was revealed to us by the grace of God. That's the mystery of the kingdom. And that's the, the real power of the gospel because the gospel of Jesus is the exact opposite of not just every other religion, but every other approach to life in the world. Every other religion and approach to life basically says, if you're holy enough, or if you're smart enough, or successful enough, or virtuous enough, if you're thin enough, or woke enough, if you meditate enough, or if you're true enough to your authentic self. In other words, if you work hard enough, then blessed are you, for yours is the kingdom of heaven, or whatever it is you're looking for. 
But the gospel of Jesus is the exact opposite of of that. It says you could never work hard enough to find the blessing that you seek. The only way you can receive it is through the grace of God. That means that the parables of Jesus are, are a big part of God's way of working in our heart to help you, to help open your eyes to things that you're looking right at, but you can't see them because you don't want to see them. Are we really paying attention? Are we really listening? There are all kinds of things in our lives we're looking at we don't want to look at. We don't want to see them. Or we could say it like this. Jesus isn't just revealing his word. His word is revealing you. But we don't like it. When I was um, young, many of you know that I'm in recovery from alcoholism and drug addiction. When I was deep in my addiction, I was a musician at the time, and I had a singer friend named Debbie who was like a big sister to me. And one day, uh, after we had just had a rehearsal at her home, all the other musicians had left, and it was just Debbie and I talking there. And she said to me, Eric, I know what you're doing, and I want to tell you that drugs and alcohol are not your problem. Drugs and alcohol are just a symptom of a deeper problem. Now, I'm sure all of us here are familiar with that kind of language, but at that point in my life, I had never heard anything like that. And her words, they got into like this hairline crack in my heart, and I knew instinctively that what she was saying was absolutely true, and I hated it. I hated it. I did not want to face the darkness in my heart. I did not want to face my desperate need for help, for something or someone to rescue me. I didn't want to face my absolute inability to save myself. I didn't want to face my need for grace. And friends, over the years, I have learned that this is not just alcoholics and drug addicts. This is all of us. We all have a heart condition. We all love the idea of grace, but we hate what it says about our need for grace. In fact, we resist it with all our hearts, and that leads to our last point. The parables of Jesus engage our imagination. Secondly, they reveal our hearts. But last, parables heal our opposition. You know one of the really scary things um, about Jesus' parables? Uh, on the one hand, he's talking to people who are really longing for the kingdom, they were really longing for rescue and renewal, but that story of the kingdom had become deeply distorted in their minds. They, they, they were thinking that the Messiah was going to be a political revolutionary. They, that Jesus was telling parables as a way not just of giving them a clearer picture of the kingdom, but of um, challenging the opposition in their hearts to God and challenging them that unless you turn away from your opposition to God, you just might find yourself outside of the kingdom. That was dangerous, and that was difficult. For instance, N.T. Wright is one of the greatest theologians and historians of our time. He uh, points out that when Jesus tells his parables, he's really constantly just retelling the story of Israel. The parables are retelling the story of Israel, that when you look at it, all the stories and pictures and themes and images in the parables are really pointing back to Old Testament images for Israel. So, for instance, when Jesus tells the parable of the, the vine in the vineyard, a vine is an, is, it's an Old Testament image for the people of Israel. And anybody listening to that parable would have been really clear, oh, he's telling our story. Or when Jesus tells the parable of the sower and the seed, seed is an Old Testament image for, can you guess what? Israel. 
What Jesus was constantly um, retelling the story of Israel through his parables, but in a way that challenged their opposition in, in their hearts to God. And that was really dangerous. So N.T. Wright puts it like this. He says, someone who is telling strangely familiar stories and meaning the wrong things by them will land up in trouble. It's kind of like in China right now, you know, there is um, a high level of censorship on the internet. So if you um, get on social media in China and you say the wrong thing, or if, especially if you are critical of the government, you could get arrested. And so social media users over there, dissidents, have developed highly elaborate um, code words and emoticons and things that they can use to speak in subversive ways, but in ways that will get past the censors. But it's still really dangerous. That is exactly what Jesus is doing in these parables. He's telling subversive stories about Israel in the kingdom in ways that will get past the censors, but it was still really dangerous. And we see a case study of that, actually, at the end of this passage. At the very end um, of Matthew 13, it says, when Jesus had finished telling these parables, that he went to his hometown and he started teaching in their synagogues. And at first it says, everyone was amazed. Wow, we love this. But then they started thinking, hey, wait a minute. Isn't this guy the carpenter's son? Isn't this Mary's boy? Aren't all of his brothers and sisters here with us? Who does this guy think he is? And at the very end, it says, they took offense at him. Now, that word offense is the Greek word skandalizo. Does that sound familiar? It's where we get our English word scandal. They were scandalized by Jesus. They rejected him. Friends, here's the amazing thing about the gospel. The rejection of Jesus is not just some unfortunate tragedy in an otherwise brilliant ministry. No, the rejection of Jesus was the whole purpose of his ministry. Because when Jesus was talking and sharing and speaking about the kingdom of God, remember how he, he quotes Isaiah chapter 6? It says, though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Remember, God called Isaiah to speak to the people to preach to the people, but the more he preached to them, the more they were going to reject him. When Jesus quotes Isaiah 6, he's retelling the story of Israel in, in, through the lens of the story of the prophets. What's the story of the prophets? The story of the prophets is that God called the prophets to speak to Israel, to call them back to the original vision, back to the original story, but they rejected the prophets, which means that they rejected God. And when that happened, God sent the people into exile. He enacted judgment on them. But through the prophets, God was constantly encouraging the people that there would be mercy and renewal on the other side of judgment. In other words, the story of the prophets was a story of rejection, judgment, and renewal. Rejection, judgment, and renewal. Are you starting to see what Jesus is doing when Jesus is retelling the story of Israel as the story of the prophets, he is not just retelling the story. He's reenacting the story with his own life, but with a counterintuitive twist. Because when they reject Jesus, instead of coming to bring judgment on the people for their rejection of God, 
Jesus came to bear judgment for them and for you and me for our rejection of God. Friends, we all have a heart condition. We all want to be in control of our lives. We want to be in control of our own happiness. We don't want to admit that all of us are desperately addicted, whether to control or comfort or power or approval. We don't want to admit that we can't save ourselves, and we absolutely don't want to admit that we are absolutely powerless to, to, to be our own savior, that we are that desperate and in need of rescue and renewal in our own lives. But when Jesus was nailed to the cross, he took the judgment we deserve for our rejection of God so that we could receive all the love and honor that he deserves for his love and devotion to God. Jesus literally took a spear to the heart so that he could heal all the opposition to God in our hearts. Dear ones, Jesus is not just revealing his word. His word is revealing you. His word is revealing your heart. And, and if you let it, his word is healing your heart with the word, the truth, the reality, the beauty of his cross in your life. If you're here this morning and you're exploring faith, or maybe you're skeptical about faith in Jesus, but if that's you, listen, Jesus is calling you to let his word reveal your heart to yourself. Let his word reveal to you your deep, desperate need for rescue and renewal. And if you're here this morning and you are a Christian, whether you've been a Christian for, you know, a couple of years, or even if you've been following Jesus for decades, that, you know, it's easy to, if that, especially if that's you, to think, well, all of this is like Christianity 101, and I'm really kind of beyond that. I don't need this anymore. Yes, you do. Remember, Jesus is talking to people who many of them would have been lifelong committed religious people who were devoted to God their whole life. And yet Jesus is calling them to pay attention. What is my word doing in your heart? How are you resistant to God? Let my word heal you and, and bring you back into the love of God. If they needed that, how much more do we? Every single one of us, listen, we never outgrow our need to have God reveal his word to us and have his word reveal our hearts to us. You know, I, uh, I have a corn, a hard calloused corn in the tip of my thumb there. And over the years, no matter how many times I've dug that thing out, no matter how deep I, I try to get in there and dig it out, it always grows back. This corn in my thumb, I, for me, has always been a great image of my own heart. Because no matter how many years I've been following Jesus, and no matter how much healing I've experienced in my own life, and I have experienced healing, no matter all of that, my heart is still calloused. My heart is still deeply uh, affected and inflicted with sin and resistance to God. I feel it like that corn in my thumb. It's deep in there. And no matter how hard I try, I can't dig it out of my own heart. Only Jesus can. You know, there's that wonderful place in John chapter 15 where Jesus says, abide in me, dwell in me. Isn't that a wonderful image? It speaks to us of peace and contemplation and, and resting in God. It's also a kind of upsetting image because Jesus says, if you, if you abide in me, then my father will prune you. Think about that. What pruning is done with a knife, it cuts, it hurts. Jesus is saying, abide in me. Don't try to run away when the knife goes in. Don't try to wriggle away. It's going to hurt. It's going to cut, but stay. Abide in me. 
Let, let, let the scalpel of my love get deep into your heart. Friends, Jesus is the only surgeon we can trust with that scalpel because he's the only God who went under the blade himself. Will you let Jesus ply your heart with the scalpel of his redemption and heal your heart with the wonder of his love? Would you pray with me? Abba, we thank you this morning um, that you know us. You know us infinitely better than we know ourselves. You see all the resistance and opposition to you in our hearts. But Lord, you also, even more than that, you see the glory and the beauty and the, and the wonders for, in which, and for which and with which you created us. You see the vision you had when you first made us, and you uh, are absolutely determined to pursue that vision to its final end and see us restored in glory and beauty in your love. And so we thank you this morning that you loved us so much that you would come and, and try to break through our hard hearts to reveal our hearts to ourselves and to call us back to yourself, and that you would um, use any means necessary to do that, including things so hard to understand as parables. And Father, as we uh, conclude this series this morning, I pray that you would uh, help each one of us to carve out time and space in our lives to be quiet and silent, just to be with Jesus and to let Jesus do that work of, of cutting into our hearts and revealing more and more of our hearts to ourselves so that we might be more and more willing to let your love, your blade, your renewal heal us and restore us more and more in the image of Jesus, that we might be vessels of your kingdom to the world around us. For we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.